Indiana. Southern Indiana, if a state trooper nabs five New York plates in one month, he gets a week off. And so naturally, that's kind of like, you know, king corn stamps. And, uh, <laughs> hey, I wonder, I wonder if the day will come when you'll be able to pay your traffic fines with S&H green stamps. Uh, or, on the other hand, or if the judge will give you green stamps after you paid your fine. Uh, speaking of that, a guy wrote me a note, and he says, Shepard, he's been listening to the radio, and he says, it's got to come, there's got to be a day when a chick will sue for annulment of her marriage on the grounds that she was under the influence of Compose when she married that slob. Have <laughs> you heard those commercials? Yeah, you heard them. I mean, you know, here, here you, hear, you hear this... Uh, this guy, and he's going, da da da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then you hear the other voice says, Charlie, I can't understand what's happened to you. You used to be the rottenest teacher on our staff. As a matter of fact, you were known as old Hell on Wheels Clarence. Everybody hated you, and now you've been promoted to the board of directors, and you're the assistant principal. And he says, well, that was back in the old days when I was a nervous, tense person. And I uh, had these stainless steel fangs, da, 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 da. And then I discovered Compose. Now, life is one long song. As far as I can see, there are fields of waving daffodils. As far as I can see, there are blue skies. There are pink clouds hinged with gold. And life is one long song. So let's all march together. Hold it there, Al. Reset. Reset. Reload. Relock. Ready on the right, ready on the left, ready on the firing range. Do you know that uh, that uh, there was a recent uh, prediction made by a leading sociologist to the effect that by the year 1990, due to increasing pressures of advancing population, and there ain't no place to park, and uh, the air is going to be all polluted, and people are going to be getting tickets just for walking around on the street... You know, yeah, they're going to eventually. There's going to be there's going to be traffic police. They claim by 1995, maybe there will be traffic police on sidewalks. And and if you walk on the wrong side of the sidewalk, like heading into the stream, you'll have to get yourself a five dollar ticket. Uh, if you turn left into Corvettes without putting your hand out, which could knock four little old ladies to the ground and run over six kids, you'll probably get a fifteen dollar moving violation ticket and all that stuff. He said that by the year 1995 or so, that a good, in fact, a major percentage of the people will be on continual, and they'll take it just like every morning you take your wheeze. Or, you know, like you take your uh, vitamins every morning. They will be on a continual diet of tranquilizers. And you'll take them just as normally as you take, uh, uh, you know, vitamin B or something. And he said this will be because man is not built for what man has created. And until a new type of man evolves, very new type, who's totally nerveless, uh, totally insensitive to anything, and he has leather lungs that are lined with asbestos and he can breathe in all the air from Jersey, that, the <laughs> that the, until that time, man will continually be constantly under the pressure of taking various types of, uh, you know, little things to keep him happy. It may be, uh, oh yeah, it's, it's all connected with the LSD thing. You know that you can buy LSD cigarettes now? You can buy a package of cigarettes that's on the side of LSD. 
Uh, I kind of think they missed the boat, though. They should have a cigarette named Pot. <laughs> the guy gets busted for smoking pot in the mailroom. And who knows? But uh, nevertheless, uh, you, you get you get all deeply involved uh, with with modern life, and and uh, yeah, you you sometimes have a tendency to forget that one of the basic drives behind man always is what they term the fiesta drive. Now, what is it? <laughs> what is the fiesta drive? Nobody knows where it comes from. No other animals do this. As a matter of fact, uh, there has been uh, one, at least one physical anthropologist I know of, has been studying the celebration habits of various lower animals. Now, they, they can't find much. I mean, it has never been recorded that 522 camels gathered in the desert and all grabbed paws and jumped around and sang all songs. They just don't do it. Bears do not do this. A bear is a very solitary character, and they do not have conventions where 497 bears gather on the side of a mountain and throw uh, bags of water on the other bears that are down at the bottom of the mountain and wear buttons and yell and <laughs> sit on rocks and blow horns. Well, uh, man has the fiesta thing deep down inside of him. And one of the very earliest examples of this, it must have happened when man was beginning to come out of the, the uh, amphibious state and his gills were beginning to disappear his feet were still a little bit webbed. In fact, I know a lot of people whose feet are still webbed a great deal. But I know one guy that's got scales on his back. But uh, when they were just beginning to sneak out of the water and they were beginning to breathe the air and it wasn't even polluted yet. You know, it's hard to believe that it was a time when you could breathe deep. You know, <gasps> nothing. I mean, now you go... <coughs> Black. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you do. Let's face it. I mean, and so... The very first moment, there must have been a historic moment, when uh, Charlie is crunched down there, you know, he's hunched, sitting in the, sitting in the mouth of the cave, and the wind is blowing past, and the skies are gray overhead, and the clouds are scudding past. And they hadn't even invented trees. It was very early. No trees. There were no dogs. Nothing like that. After all, if you didn't have no dogs, you didn't need trees. And so there weren't any trees or any dogs. Well, you see, everything follows one after the other. Uh, nature has continuity to it. Uh, there are, things are important. Uh, things have, I mean, that's called ecology. In other words, turtles exist because frogs exist. Turtles eat frogs. And when the frog began to develop, the turtle followed naturally. Now the frog, of course, eats mosquitoes. And so, because there were mosquitoes, frogs came on the scene. Well, nobody's figured out why man came on the scene. <laughs> I mean, this has been a big problem with ecologists uh, for years because he doesn't fit, see... Uh, the first thing that man does when he arrives on any given scene is cut all the trees down. Uh, then he digs holes in the ground, overturns all the sod, and then he uh, throws beer cans in the lake. And therefore, man is anti-nature. He's not part of nature. He's anti-nature. And so, Og and Charlie are squinched down, the two first anti-nature creatures on the face of the globe. Squinched down, and Charlie's looking out over the darkness, and Og is looking out over the darkness, at their hairy brows peering out their tiny beady eyes, red-rimmed, shot with, with incomprehension of the fantastic world in which they have been cast, peering out into the darkness. And then suddenly, well, it wasn't so sudden. It took 422 million years, actually, but in those days, they didn't have Timex watches, you know. They didn't have any of this stuff. It was not, time wasn't invented. There was only light and dark. They didn't even, they had no days. They didn't, they had not invented Wednesday. Nothing. Just light and dark. And it didn't get very light either, because it was always cloudy. It rained a lot, see. It was always cloudy. 
And it didn't get very dark either, you see. Because the moon was bigger in those days. Do you know that the moon has washed away a lot? They claim that erosion has washed away a lot of the moon. And they claim that, the, oh, sure, like two and a half million years ago, the moon covered the whole sky. It's a big baby, you know, just laying up there. And so the two of them are scrunched down. It's silent. Except for the sound of the wind. along the roads and Indianapolis of course makes it a regular thing and they visit each other and they sit on it's like a vast trailer camp and they're waiting for days before the race and the old ladies visit and they these people will not see each other from one race to the next and they will occasionally correspond but they don't see each other they're just this, this thing they gather and they'll talk about did you hear what happened to, to Rafe you know why Rafe isn't here you know why Rafe isn't here you know he, he busted his knee you know and they all know who Rafe is and back and forth the stories go. And then in and out of the crowd will be the real old-timers. And these are like veterans of ancient, ancient wars. And they've got buttons all over them, many of them. And these buttons are souvenir buttons from all the races that they have attended. Some guys, believe it or not, have attended every Indianapolis Speedway race that's been held since just after the turn of the century. And they walk around there, you know, and they say, Well, I want to tell you this. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, Wilbur Shaw was good. Wilbur Shaw was good, no question about that, but, but did, did, uh, did you ever see George Robinson race? Did you ever see? And, and I will tell you, Ralph the Palmer, now there was a race driver, Ralph the Palmer, I'll never forget the time Ralph the Palmer came around the South Turn, he was driving a, he drove one of those Alfa Romeos, one of, them, one of the Italian cars, he come around there with the Alfa Romeo, and she caught on fire, coming around the South Turn, well, you know what Ralph did, he had this mechanic named George Meredith, he come around the corner there, and he waved, he waved to George to jump out when he come around there, because he's got to finish by himself, well, I'll never, well, of course, these stories go on and on and on, and and uh, <laughs> you find this interesting? Well, these old these old cats know every car that's ever run in the race, and and they're not fooled. By the way, they're not fooled at all. Only the Easterner is fooled when it says uh, a Shell Oil uh, double overhead valve special, that kind of thing. You see, uh, you know, you you read the, the the list of the race cars. You know, all the cars that are racing, and they have these names of companies like uh, like uh, Hemingway Van Line Special. Well, you know, that's not a Hemingway Van Lines car, obviously not. That's the name of the company that put up the dough to build this car. Well, what kind of a car is it? That's the thing that's important to these old times. They never sit around and say, hey, did you ever see that board and pet milk special? Oh, that's a real... No, 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 no. They sit there and say, hey, listen to that, Matt. You can hear the sound. Hear that? Oh, man, listen to that. Oh, they ain't nothing like the sound of an offie. Lift that offie. Well, they're talking about an Offenhauser. Uh, of which you will find in the race tomorrow, uh, a few Offenhauser cars will be run. This is a, a special race motor and engine that is used and has over the years dominated the tracks, although now they're being beaten out by the, by the uh, well, I suppose you can call them the, uh, the non-stock Fords, very non-stock. But nevertheless, uh, the, the hours before the race, these cars gather. And right now, at this time, it's now, it's now a quarter, eleven or so uh, before before the race, the night before, the, the tension gets unbearable. Now, why does it get unbearable? Are they anxious about who's going to win the race? 
Are they anxious about what car is going to win the race? Oh, no. They've got one thing in mind. And the family, the cousins, the uncles, the aunts, everybody is plotting and scheming for this one moment. Because at dawn, at 6 a.m., at the track, at dawn, in the quiet Indiana, just as the sun is beginning to come up, and you can see the edge of the golden light touching the grandstands. And down there, if you were lucky enough to be on the track before they open it up, you'll see a few figures moving around down in the pits. And you'll see maybe a, a, a bright yellow car that's being slowly wheeled out into the sunlight. And there you can see lying in the shade of one of the pits a long red rear-engine converted lotus just lying there. You see, you can smell the smell, you know, of that, of that high-test fuel and you can smell the oil and the gas and you can see that big oval out there it's been laid out and cleaned and polished for weeks in advance you see now they've got they've taken it out and they've practically sanded it down to get all the oil off before the big race and out there in the darkness just as dawn is coming up there is this fantastic it looks like a gigantic buffalo herd millions and millions of ancient cars are, are all poised for this big moment this big instant and they're waiting sitting behind the wheel of their car and they've got him started running. You know, that old 1934 Hupmobile six-cylinder engine has seen 274 very hard thousand miles. And now the blue smoke is coming out of the back end. The fenders are up and down. And ahead of him is a guy in a Willie's Knight. He's with his Willie's Knight touring special, a 1936 beauty. And they're all waiting. The beer is packed all around them. They've got their pinochle cards. They've got their sandwiches piled high. They've got their hot dogs already. The mustard, the piccalilli, the whole thing. The, the, the racks are ready to go up and they're waiting. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for the moment. X hour. The instant. They're waiting for that second when all of a sudden, Exactly 6 a.m., the cannon goes off, and the doors are flung open. Millions of cars surge forward, all looking for their parking place, the place that they have occupied since 1917. Oh. The air is filled with crashed fenders, headlight lenses, muffled curses and screams, and they roar forward. At long last, the family it actually arrives at the same spot on the same plot of crumpled yellow oil-stained grass in the infield. The same spot that they have occupied man and boy since old Uncle Charlie first attended this race when he was only four years old. And Uncle Charlie's been dead 19 years now, and he died at 96. Ah, they sit there for a moment. And all around them is this crowd of people, thousands of old cars. And the dust is rising. In, in, in like 42 and a half seconds, 19 trillion people come pouring through that track. Channel admission and so on, the whole thing. And they settle back. This is what they've come for. And he slowly gets out of the old Charlie gets up out of the front seat of his, his whippet. And he gets up on that running board and he starts putting up his rack. And everybody is putting each other's racks down, you know. Oh, look at that. What a piece of junk. They're putting up their racks. 
And by 10 o'clock in the morning, they're all sitting there with the sun beating down, and they're sipping their second glass of beer, and they're already on their third hand of pinochle. And out there on the track, you can... Wow! Wow! The last tune-up, the last instant. And then comes the moment of the big race. For that brief moment, they all stand up and look out over the track. And you see those 33 cars all lined up. And then the balloons rise into the air. And there's a great muffled roar from the crowd. 250,000 people. And all the guys down in the infield toot their horns all at once. Ooga, ooga. And these cars roll on by on that first, that ceremonial lap. And then they hit that, that starting line after the first lap. There's that enormous roar that shakes the ground. The ground thunders under their feet. And they watch the first big lap go by. And then they all settle down and begin to play pinochle. This is what they come for. The hot dogs are all warmed up. They drag at the lemonade. Old Uncle Rafe takes out his bottle of Kentucky White Lightning. And the day has begun. And it will go on and on and on far into the night. Far into next morning, when finally they arrive back at New Jerusalem, Indiana. Tired, hot, mad, sunburned, drunk, but ready for another year. Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra-low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious, ultra-low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O.